From Troy Public Radio, this is the Storyline book series from In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. In the 1920s, America's Black Wall Street burned in Oklahoma, about the same time that Osage Indians were being murdered an hour north of Tulsa. Montgomery native Victor Lukerson joins us with the story of a violent era that included the KKK. His book is Built from the Fire, the epic story of Tulsa's Greenwood District, America's Black Wall Street. Victor Lukerson, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Carolyn. So happy to be here. Victor, you're actually a Montgomery native, and you are coming back to tell the home folks about your landmark book, Built from the Fire. When will you be coming back? I'm going to be in town on September 14th at the New South Bookstore talking about the book and also my upbringing in Montgomery, my how I became a writer um, at 5.30 p.m. on uh, September 14th. Let's drop back and find out why you decided to move to Tulsa. Was it possibly because you wanted to research this story? That was exactly the reason, Carolyn. I was living in Atlanta a few years ago working as a journalist, and I actually remember I had a conversation with one of my friends about Black Wall Street, this story about Black success and Black excellence. And I really felt like it was something that more folks my age needed to understand. You know, me and my friend were only about 27 years old at the time. And so I uh, quit my job, packed up my life, made a black country music playlist and moved west to Tulsa to try to tell the story of Greenwood. What was that time period in our nation's history? Yeah, so the book really starts in the early 20th century, let's say in 1900 to 1920. And so that's a time period where in the Deep South, Jim Crow laws are taking root. White supremacy post-Reconstruction is really trying to take a more insidious form in the form of Jim Crow discrimination. Um, A family I profile in the book, the Goodwins, were living in rural Mississippi in the early 1900s. And that was a place where if a black man walked on the street next to a white man, he was expected to scurry into the gutter for the white man. So the Goodwins and many other families said, we don't want to put up with this, and decided to go to Oklahoma, where, in fact, black folks had a lot more freedom in the early 20th century. They owned a lot more land. They had a lot more wealth. And so it became this really magnet for ambitious Black folks from Mississippi, from Alabama to travel to and try to carve out a whole new life for themselves. You talked about a female entrepreneur who built a playhouse. Who was she? Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you asked about that because Lula Williams is one of my favorite figures in the whole book. Lula Williams was an entrepreneur in Greenwood in the early 20th century. She built the Dreamland Theater on Greenwood Avenue. She really advocated for herself. You know, Lula had a husband named John who was an auto mechanic in Greenwood, but she really made sure folks knew that it was her theater that she owned specifically. I actually found in my research a court affidavit that Lula signed that said that she owned in the Dreamland Theater the seats, the projector, the popcorn machine, all of it, and her husband John didn't own a thing in there. And so I really love being able to show that autonomy and that independence of a Black woman in that era. What triggered the fire? On May 31st, 1921, a uh, black shoeshine boy named Dick Rowland was working in downtown Tulsa, and he stepped on an elevator with a white attendant named Sarah Page. Ultimately, Dick Rowland was accused of attempting to rape Sarah Page in this elevator. It wasn't true, but some of the white people in Tulsa got a hold of the story. The white newspaper got a hold of the story. They really exaggerated what happened in that elevator, and it ended up whipping up this lynch mob in downtown Tulsa. 
So you had these white folks who wanted to take Dick Rowland from the jail where he had been arrested and lynch him. Meanwhile, in Black Tulsa, some black folks armed themselves, marched down to the courthouse and said, hey, y'all need to give us Dick Rowland. You're not going to lynch him tonight. A gunshot went off as the black folks and the white folks had an altercation. And the white folks decided as punishment for black people daring to defend one of their own, they were burned down all of the black neighborhood of Greenwood. So on the morning of June 1st, 1921, more than a thousand white people armed with guns, torches, and kerosene went through the Greenwood neighborhood and systematically destroyed more than 1,200 buildings, killed up to 300 people, used airplanes to surveil or attack the neighborhood. It was one of the worst acts of racial violence in American history. At roughly the same time, at about an hour north, the Osage murders were happening. More than 60 unsolved murders took place in Osage County. The movie is coming out called Killers of the Flower Moon, based on this. Killers of the Flower Moon, that film, is actually based on a book of the same name. And that was actually one of the first books I read in my research to understand what was going on in Oklahoma in the early 1900s. In Oklahoma, Native Americans owned a lot of the land in the area, and so they ended up with a lot of wealth. Oklahoma was the oil capital of the world back in that time. However, many Native Americans, specifically in the Osage tribe, were deemed by the courts and the government to not be able to control their own finances. And so they would get these legal guardians, usually white attorneys, who became sort of the proprietors of their land and operations. In the Osage Nation, actually, some of these legal guardians ended up murdering members of the Osage Nation or marrying into these families and then murdering the wives who were indigenous. So Kills of the Flower Moon kind of dives into a specific family in which several people were actually murdered so that white lawyers and real estate men could get control of their land. It's a really horrific story. And as you said, that was unfolding right around the time of the Tulsa Race Massacre in the 1920s in Oklahoma. Then, Victor, you throw in the fact that the KKK was operating at this time. And there's a passage in your book. Can you share that paragraph? Sure. This is sort of describing what unfolded in 1921 in, in Tulsa. On a hillside several decades ago stood a burning cross. Hundreds of jubilant men, all members of the Ku Klux Klan, had gathered around it. Two days earlier, they had mercilessly plundered and destroyed 50% of the Negro community. Now they converge upon a burning cross in celebration of victory. Behind them was a trail of blood and $2 million in property damage. The alleged assault of a white girl by a Negro man had been thoroughly avenged. The hillside rendezvous was a tribute to their triumph and their expression of their gluttonous success. The burning cross symbolized all their hatred for the Negro and emblemized the white supremacist doctrine. It so controlled them that as the flame grew into one massive blaze, also the single taunts of hate blended into the thunderous roar of a mob. Page 162 shows the KKK hoisting an American flag. Yes, maybe folks in Alabama have this, this idea. I know I did when I was little that the Ku Klux Klan was a deep South phenomenon. But in fact, in the 1920s, Oklahoma and Indiana were sort of the biggest bastions for the Klan. And at that time, actually, they had a lot of political power. And so in Oklahoma, you know, I was actually able to find a Klan role from the 1920s listing Klan members in Tulsa. Klan members were judges, police officers, they were city councilors. They really sat in all the highest seats of power. But even though they had these sort of powerful roles, they also still donned the white hoods, committed the racial terror that people are more familiar with. But I always like to tell folks that, you know, the Klan isn't only about the hoods that we see on uh, page 162. It was also in many ways a good old boys club, a way for people with power to exchange power and influence, and really a way to control uh, politics and policy in a lot of communities around the country. 
Your whole book seems to be about a power grab. That's really a great way to put what's in the book, Carolyn, that there are all these systems that attempted to seize power from Greenwood, whether it was the white mob in 1921, whether it was redlining in the 1930s, which decreed uh, Greenwood a neighborhood not worth investing in for housing, Um, whether it was urban renewal in the 1960s, which put an interstate through the middle of the neighborhood. And today, that's going to transform into gentrification. So if you go through Greenwood today, you'll see a minor league baseball stadium that was built to the protest of a lot of current residents. You'll see high rises that are owned by white entrepreneurs instead of black entrepreneurs like Greenwood has been historically. Um, But I think in terms of how Greenwood folks have combated these issues, it's really been through economic solidarity. Right after the race massacre, white people in Tulsa wanted to buy up the whole district. But at the time, uh, black folks refused to sell their land. I think from your book, we now have the complete story of the Greenwood District. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Carolyn. That was Montgomery native Victor Lukerson, author of the book Built from the Fire, the epic story of Tulsa's Greenwood District, America's Black Wall Street. He will appear at New South Bookstore in downtown Montgomery on September 14th. Thanks for joining us today for the Storyline book series on In Focus, which is a podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.